Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, before we pray, I see a bunch of folks standing in the back. Uh, if you're looking for seats, there are some seats up here in the front row. I, listen, I get it. Nobody likes to sit in the front row. I promise to spit in Kristen's direction only. So come on up, come on up, um, and find a seat. We are all family here. Thanks for making room for others to find their place as well. Awesome. All right, will you pray with me, friends? And Sam, I hear a little bit of an echo here. Maybe we can turn these monitors off, please. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be in your presence this morning. As we sang from very different angles with very unique songs this morning, Lord, it is a privilege to be yours and to fix our eyes on the truth of who you are and what you've done. But Lord, we want to do more than simply gaze at you. We want to do more than simply proclaim truth that we've known for a long time, many of us. We want that truth to go from our heads to our hearts and to shape who we are and, Lord, how we live. So, Lord, we start off with confession. Would you forgive us for the ways that we have pushed back and said no to you? Would you forgive us, Lord? Would you forgive us for the ways that we have not stepped out in faith, wanting you to prove yourself before we actually take that step? We declare today that you are trustworthy and true. You are good always, and we choose to trust you. But, God, we welcome you now. We give you access to our hearts. We say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit and have your way in us. God, I thank you that your message to the world has always been the same. And today we declare, you love us. You really love us. And you want us to learn to live like those who believe that. Help us today, Lord. Be with the one who preaches and all of us who listen. Lord Jesus, your words would be heard today. That your kingdom would come. We ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the question to start us off with this morning is what does it look like to live like you are dearly loved. What does it look like to live like you are dearly loved? 
Let me introduce you to Casper, the blue-eyed sheepdog, because he is a picture of what it looks like to live like we are dearly loved. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't know what his buddy's name is there. Equally as cute, well, maybe not equally, but very cute. Puppies are, puppies are cute, right? Um, this is a picture of Casper from earlier in the month, and, and this is why he's on the screen for us this morning. Because Casper is a sheepdog. Now, note, note this. I got this uh, news article from my buddy Mike, who was up here leading us this morning with the Advent reading. And he says, check out this miracle. No coincidence that we call our leaders at All Souls. If you're a ministry leader, what do we call you? Sheepdogs. Because sheepdogs know the heart of their master. They bark in his direction. They lead the sheep in his direction. They protect the sheep for his glory. Are you following? Earlier this month in Decatur, Georgia, this sheepdog fought off and killed eight coyotes. Eight. This is only six. I couldn't find a picture with eight coyotes in it. That's how many eight coyotes are. Coyotes are no joke. Most of the time, this fight goes the other direction. But Casper lost his tail in the fight lost a big chunk out of his neck in the fight, lost a big chunk out of his back in the fight, but he won the fight because he knew the love of his master and he was willing to go berserko in order to care for the sheep that his master loved. This, friends, is what it looks like to be dearly loved and deeply committed. It's to be a sheepdog that's willing to risk it all for the heart and the mission of the master. Friends, this morning, our question is simple. Do you live like a dearly, like a deeply loved person? Do you even know what that means? Do you want that? Or are you afraid to look at it? Can I invite you from the beginning to be honest? Listen, we're not playing games here. We don't ever play games here. We're not going through the motions. We're not pretending. We're leaning in hard, and we're going to make mistakes and fall on our face, and that's okay because we worship a God of grace. But we're asking a real question this morning. Do you really want to know this kind of God? Do you really want to live like a deeply loved person, or are you afraid? Because if you're afraid, the first thing for you to do this morning is admit it. God, I want that, but here's where I'm afraid. God, I want that, but here's where I don't trust you. Be honest with him. He already knows. Who are you and how are you living? This morning, as we continue in our series through the book of Acts, that's what we are going to see and unpack, this idea of being dearly loved. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit was growing the church, right? And as he's growing the church, we see the church becoming a place of justice, a place where widows who are being overlooked are overlooked no more. Because God is a God of justice. He's a God who reaches down to help those who are needy and lifts them back up to a place where they can walk and be an active part of the community. You remember, there was injustice on a racial side too because within the Jewish community, you had two different branches, if you will. Those who were born and raised in Jerusalem, in Israel, and those who were born and raised outside of Israel. So you have the Hebraic and the Hellenistic Jews, and they were not getting along. And the apostles come in, and without even a discussion, they declare the truth because they know the heart of the master. God cares for you all. In fact, 
He's already given you the very gifts you need to manage that care. Do you, do you, do you remember what happened last week? When they, he said, raise up for yourself seven who will help lead this charge, the first deacons of the church. And Stephen is one of them. And, he, and you see the church growing as different parts of the body step out in faith to exercise gifts. Gifts from heaven meant to bring heaven to earth. Did you catch that? Gifts from heaven designed by God to help us usher in the kingdom even within our community. That's what our God has always been about. And if you remember, one of the lines that we kind of hovered on for a little bit was this notion where it says, so many came to know Jesus, even the priests, even those in their lives that they thought, there's no possible way that these people are going to come to know Jesus. And the challenge for us was simple. Do you remember it? Who are the priests in your life? Who are the priests in your life? Who are the people that you don't believe could possibly ever come to know Jesus? Have you been praying for them? I think that noise out there um, might be Santa going around. If you remember every year, you, you know, our, our trusty uh, suffering fire department goes around and blasts Santa's here during church pretty sure that's what's going on right now. So pray for their hearts. I don't think it's an emergency. <laughs> we love our suffering fire department. Amen. Okay. So have you been praying for the priests in your life? Have you been asking God, can I tell you, as I've been praying, he's been showing me some of the people closest to me that I've stopped believing are going to change. Because it's been too long. And it's too hard and there's too much water under the bridge. And he's reminded me all week long. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. Amen. And what he can do. Even the priests, friends. Even the priests. Don't stop praying. Today our theme is simply this. Living like a dearly loved person. Three points to unpack that. Spirit-empowered works, spirit-empowered wisdom, and spirit-empowered glory. So first, spirit-empowered works. Last week we see seven anointed by God to do the work of the deacon, to do the work of care ministry in the church. If you remember the primary prerequisite, I'm sorry, I'm crying so I can't speak anymore, um, was fullness. Fullness. It wasn't, who has great administrative gifts? Those, are, those come in handy and they're necessary. It wasn't, who can organize this? Again, they come in handy and they're necessary. But the first prerequisite was fullness. Character over competence. You want both, but if you need to sacrifice one, never sacrifice character. Character over competence. Stephen is full of the Spirit, and it says in our passage for this morning, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs. And for those of you who've been possibly slightly disturbed by all of our conversation about signs and wonders, please notice this. It keeps coming up in the text. It keeps coming up for a reason. 
And it's not because we've got this fetish all of a sudden, this, this interest, this hobby that we want to really lean into when it comes to signs and wonders. It's because the mark of the Christian is the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, the kingdom is at work. And when the kingdom is at work, signs and wonders happen. They happen. And they are happening in our midst all over the place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to notice one more thing. Stephen here is not an apostle. There's a lot of theology out there today that talks about, well, the signs and wonders were for the first century only, and they were the result of someone's office, the unique office of apostle. The unique office is only the 12 that do the miraculous signs. Listen, the 12 do incredibly miraculous signs. What? Because that's part of their calling, but because it's also their anointing. They are full of the Spirit. They have intimacy with God like no one else walking on the planet at that time. But we're going to get to a part in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 19, where Paul, who we haven't even met yet, does the very thing that Peter just did a couple weeks ago that Tommy was like, what? If, if they brought articles of Peter's clothing to people, they were being healed because he was that anointed. You know who's about to do the same thing? Paul. You're like, well, Paul's an apostle. Yeah, well, Stephen isn't. Stephen is not an apostle. In fact, the scriptures talk all about this reality again and again. Whoever believes will do greater things than Jesus did when he walked the earth. Why are they greater? Do you remember? We talked about this. It's not because he's comparing apples to apples. Is this miracle greater than this miracle? No. The greater is kingdom fulfillment. Jesus, when he sends his Holy Spirit, it's because the victory has already happened. We're in a different epoch, a completely different moment in history that is greater than the moment that Jesus is walking in. Because now that's, that same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus fills us. And we will do greater things. Do you remember we talked about even last week from John 15? If my word abides in you. Do you remember that? If you abide in me and I abide in you and my word abides in you. That word, do you remember there are two Greek words for word? Logos, which means written word. And who remembers the word for spoken word? Uh, ruach is spirit. Rhema, very close. Rhema. What word do you think is found in John 15, 7? Rhema. If you abide in me and my spoken words abide in you, it's not undermining the reality and the necessity of the written word. The written word is absolutely essential. It is the foundation upon which we stand. It is our only rule for life and godliness. But here's the reality. It is not the end but a means. We do not worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. Knowing the word of God is to get us into communion with God. It is not simply to memorize words on a page. It is a means to an end. And that end is God himself. So when, when his word abides in us, when we are so rooted in the written word and making time for communion with the living God, he speaks to us. And when he speaks to us and then we pray what we've heard, we always get what we pray for. Why? Because it's from him. It's not our desire. It's not our thoughts. It's from him. Are we going to do that perfectly? No. Is there pressure to do that perfectly? No. Why? Because he's our dad. What he wants from us is relationship. 
you're not a genie. He's not a slot machine. You put a quarter in, call the prayer, and you, you pull the handle and it comes out. He's our dad. What he wants is us. Spirit-empowered works. Here's the principle. Dearly loved people do spirit-empowered work. It's like my professor from uh, seminary, from the doctoral program, he talks about this, Rob Reamer. He says, spiritual authority is expanded in intimacy. It's expanded in intimacy. Realize this, every other area of our spiritual lives, we grow in. It's called sanctification, right? When you become a Christian, you don't automatically stop sinning, even though in Scripture it says, if you're in Christ, you don't sin. If you're in Christ, if, when you become a believer, you don't automatically have peace with everyone in this room, even though in the scriptures it says we, we do have that peace. It is ours. We have unity in the spirit and the bond of peace is the way Paul writes to the Ephesian church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every aspect of our life in Christ is progressive. There is a, a positional reality to it. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's authority. But we need to grow. We need to expand our authority as we walk by faith. And how that happens is through intimacy. Intimacy. Pursuing his heart before we pursue his hands. In this book, Jack Deere, Why I'm Still Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, another one to add to your list. I know some of you are reading through the library that's coming up here on Sundays. This book rocked my world. Read it. Get it. Especially if you're newer to this, this idea that the Holy Spirit is still at work. Or like me, if you were trained in Reformed theology that said for a long time, this stuff doesn't happen and so there are no theological categories for that. If you have Audible, get this book on Audible and listen because he reads it himself. And he's like a grandfather. And he speaks with such truth and tenderness You'll be blessed, Jack Deere. But in this book, he shares the story of John Wimber. He was friends with John Wimber. John Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And he's known as one of the, the greatest healers in modern history. He, God used him to heal so many different people. But what he talks about with regard to John Wimber is this. He loved Jesus and was loved by Jesus. He was so humble, so kind. So caring. And he learned to hear the heart of his master. He tells a story uh, back in 1987 where he's at this uh, kind of revival at John Wimber's church. And he says it's after the service and there's hundreds of people coming forward for prayer. And John's on the stage and he says, John all of a sudden declares, there's someone here who has cancer that God wants to heal. Now, some of you hear that and you get, oh, you get that little, like, punch in the gut because you've seen that abused before. Please hear this. Simply because people abuse the truth does not make the truth untrue. It simply means there are those who abuse it. And we need to discern the difference. So John says, there's someone here who God wants to heal from cancer. Nobody comes forward. And the thing I love about Jack is Jack relays this. He's like, I'm in the audience, and I think to myself, poor John, you were doing so well. Right? How embarrassing. How embarrassing. I'm glad I'm not you. Anyone else? Can you relate to that? I would relate to that. You were doing so well. This was so powerful, and now you're going to embarrass yourself. And then he says, you, can't, you flew in on Tuesday. God wants to heal you from cancer. Come forward. 
No one comes forward. No one. Then he has the audacity to say, you're sitting in the back row. He's in a massive church. You're sitting in in the back row in a pink dress. God wants to heal you from cancer. Come forward. And a lady stands up in a pink dress, comes forward, and is healed of cancer. And he goes up to John afterwards. He goes, how do you know this? That must have been like such a clear download from God. He says, here's what happened. I'm on stage getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, I get a sense that God wants to heal someone from cancer. So I just say it. Oh, okay, okay. And then when no one came forward, I kept listening, and I just saw the word Tuesday. So I, I thought, okay, maybe they came in on Tuesday. So then I, I declared that out loud. And then he's like, well, what about the pink dress? He goes, I saw pink in the back of the room floating over the, the back of the room. And so I just, I knew that's what God meant. And, and Jack Deere's like, what are you talking about? Like, that is so random. Like, how do you get from there to there? And listen to what John Wimber says. He says, I have learned that it's far better to change my expectations of how God's going to communicate with me than to keep trying to change him to communicate in a way that makes sense to me. Do you see the principle, friends? It's all about intimacy. Stepping out in trust and faith and watching God and knowing we're going to get it wrong sometimes. That's not the point. We're not called to be perfect. We're called to be faithful and trusting and to watch as the perfect one works. Amen? Amen. 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 Dearly loved people do spirit-empowered work. But secondly, dearly loved people also do walk with spirit-empowered wisdom. So in our text it says that, that Stephen has this unconquerable wisdom. They gather together. Notice in our text there are many different kinds of, of uh, Jewish sects represented. Many different kinds of groups within Judaism that are coming together that wouldn't necessarily come together otherwise because culturally they're different. Do you hear the echo of what we just read earlier? But they agree and they're willing to work together. Why? Because they want to oppose Jesus. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. The enemy knows who the enemy is. He does not waste his time going after things that are already on his side. The enemy knows who the enemy is. And it's always Jesus. But, as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, I love this, God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. God's foolishness is wiser. So you have all these groups of people who are literally trying to overcome Stephen, and it says Stephen is unconquerable. They can't do to him what they want to because Stephen is speaking with a wisdom that, don't miss this, cries out in the streets. Proverbs 1.20. Wisdom cries out in the streets. Or like Jeremiah says right here, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Translation, God's wisdom is woven into the fabric of our reality. You can deny it all you want, but it's always there. It's like a fish wanting to say to water, you're not there. I don't understand you. I don't like you. I'm opposed to you. Fish, you can say whatever you want. Now listen, if you hear a talking fish, we need to talk after the service. But fish, if a fish was, was railing against water, it wouldn't make the water any less true. It wouldn't make the water any, ne- any less necessary for the fish to survive. It would just make the fish foolish. God's wisdom is what has woven together the fabric of our reality. And we can deny it all we want, but the truth is, his truth 
is what we live in. His truth is what has established our life and the rhythms of the sun and the moon and our breathing and the way our brain works and the way our hearts work and the way relationships work. Why is it that even when you see this couple that's been together for 60 years that are not Christian, but their marriage sings, you're like, wow, they figured something out. No, they didn't. They borrowed from Christianity because I guarantee you in that relationship, here's how they're living. Sacrificially, putting the other first, going out of the way to love even the unlovable parts, washing one another. Where do you think that comes from? Did they make that up? Or is that truth that's found in Scripture that's woven into the fabric of reality? Even though it is woven into the fabric of reality, we all know that those opposed to it still try, still try to undermine, as they did with Stephen, raising up false witnesses, saying he's blaspheming, he's blaspheming, he's doing something that is really, really bad. Please hear this. This is, remember a couple weeks ago we talked about how those opposed to the truth actually proved themselves wrong with their arguments? Here's another example of that. What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is calling something that isn't God, God, or calling something that, that is God, calling God, not God. Blasphemy, in other words, is all focused on God. Here they say, Stephen is blaspheming because he's talking poorly about what? The law and the temple. Tell me, which one of those is God? Tell me, which one of those are they living as if is God? How often, friends... Do we, in places like this, live as though our spiritual rituals, our religious activity, is what really matters? How often do we do the very thing we just talked about, worship the Bible and not the God of the Bible? How often do we live like these guys and, listen, miss Jesus? Because that's who they missed. Please realize these same accusations were hurled at Jesus first. That's that passage down there, Matthew 25. They said to Jesus, you're a blasphemer. Because you said that you're going to tear down the temple and in in three days you're somehow going to be able to rebuild it. Because you said you're going to do something to the law and it's going to change everything. (laughs) You're a blasphemer. Tell me again, temple, law, are those God? Or is God God? Is God the one who's given us? Listen, it was a necessity for those in Old Testament Israel to go to the temple. God said so. It was a necessity for them to study and know Torah. God said so. But it wasn't an end to itself. It was always a means to knowing him. To knowing him. So you see God's unconquerable wisdom play out in this. They're trying to accuse Stephen and Jesus of blasphemy. Of saying God isn't God. Jesus, you're not God. Jesus, you can't do what you said you were going to do. Please don't miss this. What did Jesus actually say he was going to do? Was Jesus concerned about what they were concerned about? Or did they come with lenses that were so focused on the wrong thing that they missed the right thing at every turn? When Jesus said, I will destroy this temple and in three days raise it up again, what temple was he talking about? His body, his body, 
he wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple that came from heaven to Jerusalem. And when Jesus said he was going to change stuff when it came to the law, remember, Jesus did not say he was going to abolish the law. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to what? Fulfill the law. So to put it differently, the good news of the gospel is these things that were designed to get us to Jesus did their job. They were effective. The one to whom both of those systems pointed had come, and they missed it. When we talk about intimacy and walking in wisdom, too often we miss it. Because here's what we're concerned about, being right. Or to put it differently, being safe. Because when I'm right, I'm in control. I'm safe. But the spirit of the Lord is like the wind. He cannot control the wind. He blows where he will. And he always brings about the same fruit. And so here's the challenge. Wherever we're wanting to be right and safe, what does that fruit look like in your life? Is it producing what you claim it's going to produce, what your heart convinces you it's going to produce? Because wisdom is known by her fruit. Jesus is the Savior of the world, friends. And it's blasphemy to say otherwise. Here's the principle. Dearly loved people live by Holy Spirit wisdom. The fear of the Lord is? Wow. Let's try that again. The fear of the Lord is? The beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is justified by its fruits. 1 Corinthians 18 says, The cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are in Christ, it is both the power and the wisdom of God. God's world always works his way, but it always feels like this. Please hear this. It always feels upside down to us in the places where we are not living rightly. God's way always feels, his wisdom feels upside down to us in the places where we are not living rightly. Barry talked about money today. How many of you started to squirm in your, in your, your seats? I did. I'm like, Barry, stop talking about me. Don't, don't make this about me, right? Like, don't tell him I said that, right? Because money has a way of making us squirm because we think money's ours and none of it is. And when we start to do this with our money, wow, all of a sudden, God shows up with power and might and provision. It's not just money. Relationships. This week, Christmas, Right? It's the most wonderful. No, it's not. It is, and it's not, all at the same time. It is, and it's not. It is, and we want to lean into that and put on that truth. But Christmas also brings up all the junk. Partly because you have literal people represented in that who are coming home for Christmas, and some who never will. Christmas brings up all the junk. And when we choose to try to hide from that or push away or power up, all of a sudden the thing we think we're protecting is the thing we're crushing. When here's the way of the Lord, enter in fully. Welcome me into your pain. Let's feel every ounce of it together and let me heal you there. It feels upside down. But it's the only way to life, friends. It's the only way to life. 
please hear me. 1 Kings chapter 3 tells this story that feels like an upside down story. I just want to share it with you quickly. It's the wisest man on earth before Jesus walked the earth. His name is Solomon. King Solomon, David's son, who asked for wisdom. God says, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. And he asked for wisdom and God gives him everything else. Because that was the right decision. I want to know how to rule your people well. Well, early in his reign, he has these two women who come to him. And they, they are both, in the text it says they're prostitutes. They sleep in the same bed and they both have babies. One of them rolls over on top of her baby and kills it. Sees that her baby is dead. Switches the babies in the middle of the night. And claims that the the live baby is hers and the dead baby is her friend's. They wake up in the morning. The mom of the the live baby, who now has the dead baby next to her, cries foul. And they go to the, the king to appeal for justice, to appeal for something right. And Solomon says this. In wisdom, take out your sword and cut the baby in half. Give half to one and half to the other. Now, was Solomon wanting to cut the baby in half? No. He knew that the heart of a mother would never let her baby be harmed. So the one woman who says, no, give the baby to her. Let her have it. Solomon says, that's the mother. Give the baby to her and send the other one out of my presence. God's wisdom oftentimes feels upside down, weird, odd, because we're so used to living in a dysfunctional world where sin and self rule. And God comes after that over and over again. Third point for this morning, spirit-empowered glory. I hope you notice at the end of our passage, after they're coming after Stephen, after they have him arrested, after they bring him before the same council that Jesus stood before, after they hurl the same insults that they hurled at Jesus, it says that everyone who was looking at him was looking at at the face of an angel. That's not just a really sweet way of saying, look how sweet Stephen is. That's actually a very powerful way of saying, look at the glory of God on the face of Stephen. It echoes what you saw in Jesus when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Also what you saw in Jesus when he was raised from the dead after uh, his time in the garden and on the cross and in that tomb. It says at both points, his face was dazzling. That people saw a white light and it was glory, glory, glory. I want you to realize something here. There was one in scripture, Moses who lived a similar type of experience even before Jesus. Moses, who was a type of Christ, a a figure that's meant to drive the story forward to Jesus. You remember he's on the the Mount uh, Mount Sinai, right? And he's up there receiving the law, and he's in God's presence. Did you hear that word? Because we sang about it earlier. He's in God's presence, and it says that his face begins to glow. And when he goes down the mountain, the people are afraid of him because his face is glowing so much. How many of you have ever had that experience? You think I'm joking. When you're in the presence of the Lord, there's a glory about you. He shows up and he shines through. Moses had a glory on him that Paul tells us, faded. And so he'd actually put a veil over his face, not because the people were afraid. He put a veil over his face because he didn't want the people to see his glory fading. 
He didn't want to see them to see that what was glorious about him was fading. So every time he went into the presence of God, more glory, he'd take the veil off, people would see. Then he'd put the veil back on as it was fading. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, concerning us who now have the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And we all with unveiled face, not like Moses, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to to the other. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Do you see it? We have a better experience, a better reality, a new epoch. We are living in the fulfillment of the promise that we saw in Moses. And it all comes through the Holy Spirit. Glory. Glory. Can I tell you, I can tell when my bride has had really sweet, intimate time with the Lord, it's all over her face. It's all over her face. When we've had a special time of worship here at All Souls, and I turn around, I see it on your faces. Because his presence is being reflected through you. One degree of glory to the next. All from the Holy Spirit. Remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago, though. This doesn't just come through fun and games, right? It comes through repurposed suffering. Just one thing to highlight. In James, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, which is what we've been talking about, let him ask God. Do you remember what he wrote right immediately before that? Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you experience trials of various kinds. He's saying, friends... You're going to suffer in this world. How you suffer and why you suffer is what matters. We have a God who's repurposing suffering to bring about glory in our lives. And that glory, he promises, is exponential. Let me read this, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 16 and 17. In case you're not doing the math here, we've been in 2 Corinthians 3. Now we're in 2 Corinthians 4. You can go on to 2 Corinthians 5. If you're looking for three chapters to read today, go there. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. You'll be blessed. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. An eternal weight of glory. Hallelujah. What on earth is that? What is an eternal weight of glory? Yes, it's beyond comparison when you consider the suffering. Okay, I sort of get that, God, even though my suffering feels really hard right now. It's neither light nor momentary, but you say there's something far better. What is that? Because if it's a shiny, heavy face, I don't want it. If that's all it is, consider the sheepdog, friends. What is the glory of the sheepdog? The glory of the sheepdog is its victory. Stood the test. It succeeded. The glory of the sheepdog is the sheep rescued. He was faithful. He did his job. But friends, underneath all of it, the glory of the sheepdog is the well done, good and faithful servant. The joy of his master. When we think about our glory, it is the same God wants us to be nuts for him. 
He wants us to be crazy for him. We talked years ago about being lunarians, like the moon that reflects the, the light of the sun. We are lunatics for Jesus. What shines off of us is his light. That's what's in view here in this passage. In Stephen's face is the light of Jesus being reflected onto the people around him because that's where his face is looking. So when we think about our glory, it's about those we've helped to rescue. It's about the sacrifice that we've made to do so. But more than anything else, it's at the end of time when we hear that Je our Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. But please don't miss this, friends. The good news is better than simply waiting for the end of time. If, if you're asleep right now, if you've missed this, wake up. This is what you want to hear. You ready? In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Translation, what we're waiting for in the future has already broken into the present. It's already ours. And God welcomes us. He invites us. He commands us to live into that glory. So that all who look on our faces will see the face of an angel. Will see the glory of God reflected in us because that's the one to whom we look. Do you live like a dearly loved person? Because the reality is, friends, you already have his affection. Please don't miss this. Yes, we will hear at the end of time, well done, good and faithful servant. But do you know why we will hear that? Is it because you have been faithful in all that you were called to do? Is it because you've been faithful in 51% of all that you've been called to do? 75%, 80%, 90%? Or is it because Jesus has been faithful in 100% of all that God has called you to do. And his life is now in your account. And so when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, yes, you will hear that one day, but you can hear that today. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master because he loves you. Be a lunatic for Jesus because he loves you. Live in an upside down kind of way because he loves you. One example of this and then we're done. The dude on the screen is not someone you recognize. This is my nephew, Robert. Robert was, uh, he's in Young Life down in Virginia and he was the subject of a letter that went out from his Young Life leader because he's a graduating senior and it's telling Robert's story and celebrating his story. And as an uncle, it was a proud uncle moment that I want to share with you. You see, Robert was pursued by a senior in his high school to come to Young Life. And Robert decided to go because of the care of that senior. And then Robert spent the next four years of his life investing in that relationship, but in many others. So Robert works at McDonald's down there. Don't eat at McDonald's. But Robert works at McDonald's <laughs> down in Virginia. And he works there every night of the week except Mondays. Do you know why? That's when Young Life Club is. And so one day, 
this Young Life leader who's writing this article goes, and he sees the club at McDonald's, but he sees Robert behind the counter. And he goes up to Robert, and he says, hey, Robert, what's going on? Why are you behind the counter? And Robert said, well, we were here for club, after club, rather, and I saw that they needed help, so I just jumped in. And then he's serving all of his Young Life friends from behind the counter, going the extra mile to care for those who need to know you're seen and known and loved. It's a little example, it's small, but it's Robert being a lunatic for Jesus. Robert saying, I'm not here to be cool, to be on this side of the counter. I'm here to serve and sacrifice. And as I sacrifice, you're gonna see a little bit of the glory of our Jesus on my face. And hopefully you're gonna catch some of the love that has forever changed my life too. Friends, you are loved. It is already well done. He wants you to live as though you are dearly loved because you are. It's the only reason he made you. It's the only reason he's redeemed you. It's the only reason he's coming again because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen and amen. Let's pray. How can it be, Lord? How can it be that you would love us like that? My heart struggles so much to believe that, Lord, deep down at the bottom, because I've lived my whole life believing something less than that, and this seems to turn the whole world upside down, and it scares me. But you haven't given up, and you won't. I pray that, Lord, everyone in here and watching online, Lord, who need to know a God who sees that fear and that trepidation, but won't give up, isn't going to stop, that Jesus, they would see you this morning. Yours, Lord, is the love that fills our lungs, that fills, Lord, our hearts to overflow, that makes us want to shout from the mountaintops, Hallelujah! You are so good. You are so good. It's true. It's true. You love us. And you want us to walk in a way that shows the world who you are. That starts with me. So Jesus, be glorified in this place today. Be glorified, draw near, even closer, Lord, that we would taste and see today just how good you are, even more than we have already, that you would be exalted in this place, Lord God, and that from this place you would send us, God, that this would be a week saturated with opportunities to see that same Advent challenge we've been talking about for weeks now, even the priests, 
even the priests, Lord, even the priests, we're asking for your glory, Lord. Let your love flow. Let it flow. Forgive our unbelief and help us to believe. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. We're asking you freshly now. 